Welcome to another edition of the Engineering Leadership Podcast, where we bring together successful C-suite executives to explore their stories at the intersection of leadership and engineering. We believe leaders are built, not born. And by nailing the constants, we can build strong, engineering-focused leaders who are prepared for future success. Each interview was led by Doug Hawk, chemical engineer, business executive, and the creator of Engineering Leadership. I'm Ben Fanning. Let's get started. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Engineering Leadership. We have an interview today with Doug Hawk and Yamini Rangan. Yamini Rangan is the Chief Customer Officer over at HubSpot, and HubSpot is a leading customer relationship management platform that provides software and support to help businesses grow better. Yamini's led the marketing, sales, and service teams throughout her career, all focused around the customer. She is a computer engineer. And she chose the topic of Engage today, and that is what this episode is all focused on. Here are a few takeaways. Number one, that leadership can be taught and can be learned. It's not something that a few people are just born with. And I just love this key idea because it makes it so universal for all of us. Number two, the fundamental job of a leader is to provide a clarifying, inspiring vision for the future then provide the right context for people to achieve their best. And then number three, be yourself in your business by embracing your authentic leadership style. Dig in and enjoy the interview. Well, hello, I'm Doug Hawk, your host for Engineering Leadership, uh, chemical engineering alumni from Clemson. And uh, you know, our, our series is about teaching engineering disciplined how to be great leaders and how to be, how to really come at leadership as a learnable and teachable and, uh, you know, scalable skill set that uh, we don't always get exposure to early in our careers and early in our curriculums. Um, joining us today is Yamini Rangan, Chief Customer Officer with HubSpot, uh, a leading customer relationship management platform that provides software and support to help businesses grow better. She has a master's in computer engineering from Clemson, and she chose our topic of engage, uh, which is one of our key constants in our engineering leadership framework. And uh, a framework that, you know, has an underpinning kind of tagline or philosophy that, you know, leaders are built, not born, and that all of us can be great leaders if we put in the, the work and the determination to get better. And so, you know, dig into each of these constants that we think form a foundation that can be a great approach to leadership, because obviously, as we engage in the real world day to day, we never know what kind of chaos is going to ensue. And so you can't really train for that. But what you can train for is to have all the foundation and fundamentals in place to be able to lead through it with with good skills. So Yamini, thank you for joining us today. Um, excited to have you with us. And, um, you know, I'll just start off with the topic. I mean, we have 17 different constants that uh, many of us have different Sort of affinities for and experience in you chose engage. Um, it's clearly been a big part of your your career and success. So just tell us tell us a little bit about that. Why, why that constant for you? Yeah, uh, Doug. First of all, thank you for having me, and it's great to speak to another uh, super successful uh, you know alum uh, from Clemson. I got a lot out of uh, Clemson. We'll talk about that, and it's uh, great to come back to the engineering school. I think uh, what you mentioned, <clears throat> which is uh, leadership can be taught. I think that is 
super critical. I'll just start there. Leadership can be taught and can be learned. It's not something uh, that is just for a few people that are born with it. I really, really like that concept. And one of the things about leadership um, I think about is that leadership is in the domain of the future. You can certainly do a lot of things you know, today. You can certainly, uh, in the concept and the framework that you talk about, you, know, you can see the bullet coming and that's like happening at the present and you can certainly do that. But uh, the domain of leadership and leaders is really in the future. And if you can change the trajectory of that bullet, if you can change the trajectory of um, the context of the organization that you're in, then you have left a mark as a leader. And I think that's something that I firmly believe in. And if you think about uh, the future, you know, what is it that you can do to create the future for everybody? Um, The best thing that you can do is to set a very clear, clarifying vision. And uh, from that perspective, you know, I do think the fundamental, you know, job of a leader is to provide a clarifying, inspiring vision for the future and then provide the right context for people to achieve their best. You know, that's really the job of a leader. So from that perspective, uh, you have to start with engagement. You really have to break it down and start with engaging with your core you know, constituents, uh, which would be employees, customers, and shareholders, stakeholders. And you really have to start with that engagement. I'll tell you, um, you know, you talked about, you know, how we spend a lot of time developing engineering skills, and you have to spend an equal amount of time developing leadership skills. You know, as an individual contributor, there is a fairly tried playbook of how you can be successful. You know, you get out of school, uh, you work hard, you work long, you know, you uh, apply yourself to it and you run fast, you know, and you do a whole bunch of those things. I think typically that gets you out of the gate really quickly uh, in terms of your career. I think what a lot of people actually struggle with in their careers is transitioning from being that individual contributor to actually being a leader. And that's because the playbook for being an extremely successful individual contributor is completely different from the playbook of being a leader. You don't run fast. You know, you have to, if you want to run far, you know, you got to recognize that you're now no longer running a sprint, you're running a marathon. And in order to run far, you really need people engaged with you. Uh, so that's the first you know, difference between being an individual contributor and being a leader. Uh, right. You don't provide answers. You know, as an individual contributor, you're <laughs> running to get to answers. You're running to, you know, get to the quickest, fastest answer. And as a leader, your job is to ask questions, you know, not really provide answers. And that's a pretty big part of, you know, engaging to ask the right questions, not just provide the answers. Um, You're also not just focused on what you're doing and how you're doing. As a leader, it's all about communicating why you're doing something. 
the focus is on why does your team need to do something, not what they need to do or how they need to do. And that is also a huge kind of you know shift that you have to make in that journey. And if you take each one of these transitions, first of all, people don't recognize they they use the same playbook that they have you know seen a successful playbook as an individual contributor and start doing the same thing as a manager and a leader. And then they are like, whoa, this is not working. Why is this not working? And if you really dig down to every one of this, it comes to engaging and realizing that you have to change your playbook. And I think, you know, like a lot of us, I kind of ran into this, you know, fell a few times, picked myself up and learned somewhat the hard way that there is a pretty big transition and you really need to pause and readjust your playbook. And that's why I'm just absolutely, first of all, fascinated by leadership. I probably read, you know, a couple of leadership books, you know, every month uh, and try to be a learner. Uh, But also the whole idea of engaging and enrolling uh, is just key. Yeah, you know, you you made a couple of great points there. I want to explore a little bit. I mean, the you know, one is that leadership moment. I think, and we we've talked about it a lot in this series, where you know you have that realization that you know what got you here won't get you there, and that uh, you know all of a sudden the uh, you know the playbook and the activities and and I tell folks, you know, I was in my first you know leadership position running a business, and you know it was probably six months in before I really realized like well, you don't get to do your list. You know, you can't work on your stuff anymore. Like it, you're, everyone else's list is your list, right? And and helping them through it and providing guidance and mentorship. And and again, helping them, you know, ask the right questions versus just running for the answers is, is a, it was a pivotal moment. I mean, I can remember for me, it was a, you know, almost tearful night on the stoop of my house, you know, sort of coming to grips with it that, you know, I just had to change, right? Dramatically. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think, uh, Doug, this is so interesting. It typically tends to be these uh, gut-wrenching, you know, very, uh, you know, soul-searching moments that we, you know, come to grips with, oh, wow, yeah, I think I should have shifted it. And so, you know, what if we actually taught that, that there is a different playbook? (laughs) And what if we actually get everybody to realize it's not you. It's just the fact that you've not shifted the context of how you're operating in. It doesn't mean that you're ever going to be a failure. And I'll tell you, mine was a pretty tearful moment where I was like, I think I made a mistake. I think I should not be a manager. I think I should go back being an individual contributor. And I, for, for probably six months to a year, I kept going back and saying, you know, I don't, I don't think I want to do this. I think I want to go back to my prior role. Can I just go back? And I think a lot of us go through that process of soul searching, of doubting ourselves, of really figuring out, is this actually going to work? And then realizing, no, okay, there's a completely different playbook. And, um, yeah. and part of that playbook is thinking about the future differently. It is about engaging very differently. Well, and you, you mentioned something earlier about, you know, that, that long-term view and, and sort of not just looking at where you're going, but thinking about how far off and how far in the future that might be. And it, 
that's where, you know, engage fits with a couple of other key constants in what I call kind of see over the horizon as, you know, which I also think is a, a learnable skill, right? I mean, it takes um, constantly thinking about and engaging with what could come and talking to the right, you know, customers, suppliers, partners, competitors, of which a lot of people I think are loath to do, but can be incredible sources of perspective if you get a chance to do it. Um, and it's, you know, I think that that's the other key point, right? Is it's not just engaging for the current quarter or the current month or the current project you're on, but understanding that bigger context. And I think one of the things that young engineers can really benefit from is even before they're in positions to be leading themselves is that while they're still in that individual contributor role, they can do, they can have bigger impact and more success there if they can have a little bit more kind of internalizing of that bigger perspective, right? Because you see, you know, that way that they, they might still have the blinders on some cases necessarily to accomplish the individual tasks that are in front of them, but they're doing it with a broader context. And I've always felt like that's a, that's a big leadership burden too, right? Is to make sure you're providing that context and communicating that vision and making sure that, you know, everyone at every level can understand it. Um, because in many cases they don't have the time. And that's one of the other things we talk about is how do you make the time to make sure that, you know, that engagement exercise is deliberate and repeated and a core part of your daily routine. Because otherwise you get overwhelmed with just kind of, I don't want to call it bureaucracy, but the, you know, the administrative bureaucratic existence of just leading a large organization can consume all your time. And then you're, you don't have those opportunities to get out there and put yourself out there. So it's one of the things I wanted to talk about is, you know, early in your career, did you, where did you find those opportunities? Did you have, you know, as, as, as you mentioned, we both kind of went through those, those transitional moments. For me, I did have some really good leaders that helped me sort of understand that um, and get me through it and, and sort of kind of lift my chin, if you would, and, you know, yeah. stop staring at those, like, you know, look at the horizon and see what's coming and appreciate how that influences what we have to get done every day. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I tell you that, um, you know, the percentage that, you know, an individual contributor, whether they're an engineer or in business versus a leader allocates into, you know, this looking at the horizon and understanding the vision or setting the vision in the case of the leader that varies, but I think you still have core attributes. I mean, as you think about your career and you think about the broader uh, aspect of what do you need to be good at in terms of your career, to me, I bring it down. I'm an engineer, so I have to bring it down to like a handful of things. It is, you know, kind of setting vision, communicating vision, and understanding vision. That's kind of like number one bucket. The second is uh, driving results and execution. It's your ability to kind of like execute. The third is your ability to hire, develop, retain uh, incredible talent. And uh, the fourth, I'd say, is a growth mindset. And, um, you know, that's the way I think about, you know, the key attributes that you have to be thinking about in your career. Now, early in your career, you're probably spending most of your time in driving results and execution, and that's okay. Maybe at that time, 80% of your time is really focused and you really have an output that you're driving. And then you still have 20% of the time 
and that you're allocating to understanding the context as well as developing a growth mindset. You may not be hiring and developing talent. That's okay. Now, as you continue to progress in your career, you're constantly evaluating against that framework and saying, now, as a leader, I'm spending 80% of my time in setting the vision, communicating the vision, and really providing the context for the organization to operate in. And I just think that I'm only executing, you know, very small portion because I want everybody within the organization to be executing under that context. And so the percentage shifts. And I'd say um, it wasn't like one moment or one specific leader, but I would say uh, there have been a number of key influencers within my career that have helped me lift up my head, you know, lift my head up to be able to see through you know, what is actually happening. And I'd say that uh, the leaders that did that were really good at engaging, understanding the context before setting the vision, right? It's not that, oh yeah, I just come up and, you know, I joined a new organization. I have like this, my own plan and my own strategy that I want to bring in, but they relate, they engage, they, you know, in, in the real life world that we were all operating in, it was called elbow grease, like walking the halls and talking to people right. and understanding what's going on. And they were just exceptional at it. I remember like one of my, you know, prior managers, he would remember, you know, everyone's names. And that always blew my mind. It's something as simple as remembering people's names, asking about your son's soccer game that he played two weeks ago, your daughter's piano recital that happened. How was how did that go? Like being able to relate, engage, and then understand the context before you set the context is just super critical. Leaders who did that were exceptional, were exceptional at getting results, not because they drove results, but they were able to set the context. Leaders who were not and who kind of like were you know, somewhat in ivory towers, somewhat in their heads, somewhat living here instead of out there, you know, they just didn't get the results. So ultimately, if business is all about driving exceptional performance, then you got to be out there, you got to be engaged, and you got to really set the context. And for that, uh, it's just super critical that you are, you know, engaged a very different, you know, perspective. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think the one of the you know tough parts is sort of and you mentioned it is you you can't you've got to have enough time to engage and appreciate and understand the situation. And it's back to that old saying: no one cares what you say until they know that you care about them, right? So it's kind of what you're conveying there: like connect with the people, engage with the staff, understand their current. You know, you got to walk a mile in their shoes to understand what the current situation is, and you can't. You certainly can't jump ahead to, oh, well, here's the strategic situation. So let me just tell you what we're going to do. No one's going to listen to you or hear you until they believe that you've spent enough time appreciating their perspective um, and them personally. I think that's yep. it's, it's certainly critical. It's also, I think, it is an area I think that many engineers do struggle with. Just be, you know, we are a profession that tends to be more introverted. Um, you know, I've Certainly, you know, I've talked many times in my past about how, you know, painfully shy I was as a child. And I see it, you know, now that I have my own children, I, I see it in my own son. And he's, you know, from the time he could walk, you know, kind of hiding under my legs when we're in a group. And, um, you know, it, I think that's another 
what another area of engagement that, you know, takes hard work and discipline for many that, you know, and we recognize that this is not something that has to come natural, but you yeah. still can be good at it. You, you don't have to be super charming. You don't have to be that person who's the life of the party, but you do, but you can be relatable. You can care, you can show and communicate and convey how much you care about people and find ways to engage with them. And I think that's, it's another area, just, you know, something about sort of our profession is, you know, we, we often went into it because we were good at math or we were good at things and not necessarily good at people. Right. That's and, right. You know, leadership right. requires you to be good at people because that's what it's all about. You know, I think you bring up a really good point. A lot has been written about introversion and leadership. And, you know, maybe like a couple decades ago, you had a certain profile of a leader. A leader was all about rah-rah, you know, going out there and being charming and, you know, shaking hands with crowds. Like that was the uh, perspective that was shared. And I think I would say that um, when I certainly started out of Clemson, I was a complete introvert. You know, I definitely wanted to go down and, you know, work on, <laughs> you know, my coding and, uh, you know, just talk to computers rather than talk to people. <laughs> and I think, you know, even a decade later, I found myself in sales in tech companies and I was still very much of an introvert. I still am an introvert. And uh, the struggle that I have probably gone through is early in my career, I tried to fit a certain mold. You know, I tried to be uh, in the sales organization like one of whatever was expected, right? And um, it took a lot of energy. You know, I'd, I'd get so drained and that's the typical mark of an introvert. It's not that you cannot do it, but it drains you so much that it doesn't feel authentic. And uh, for me, it came down to, you know, authenticity. Like what do, what does it feel very natural as a leader to do? And what I found is that um, as not the kind of leader that could engage 50 people and, you know, charm 50 people at the same time and inspire a crowd, what I found comfort in is that I could engage really well one-on-one. I could uh, engage really well in roundtables, talking to, 8, 10, 15 people at a given time. Uh, I got a lot out of it. I was able to put myself out there. I was able to really deeply engage and understand the perspective of the person. And that um, is what I do right now. And that that works. And so uh, partly there's this myth about introversion that I think, you know, we should talk about and we should say, look, if you're if you are a typical engineer, you probably are comforted by things and not people, and that's okay. But then find your own authentic, uh, you know, way of engaging in leadership, and that works if it works. And so, what I do as part of my, you know, operating system of engagement, you know, and I, I, I certainly track my time. I color code my calendar. I really look at, you know, exactly where I'm spending time. But one of the things I do is to look at where am I spending my time and am I spending time in one-on-ones? And I do want to spend a lot of time in one-on-ones. And it, it's not just with my directs. It's not just with partners. It's with it's with customers. Uh, it is, you know, uh, across the board, not just at my leadership level, but, you know, multiple levels within the organization so that 
I'm getting a really good sense of what is happening. And then I also make sure that I'm allocating time to roundtables. And this could be partner roundtables, customer roundtables, um, sometimes investor roundtables, but more importantly, employee roundtables. And across all of that, it's just listening. And it's very, very active listening that hopefully feels that I have gotten them. You know, I'm listening not just as a, oh, yeah, I'm like taking notes or I'm kind of distracted, but it leaves the uh, audience feeling that they have gotten, you know, I've gotten them. And I think that's where you need to allocate time. And so I look at my calendar and sometimes I'd be like, look, I'm not spending enough time listening and engaging. So I need to add a few more roundtables. And that's kind of, that works. And so I think going back to the introversion, it's totally fine. You can make it work, but be authentic. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And I think, you know, it's, I've tried to, you know, tell folks it's just be prepared to do the reps, right? Like, you know, practice counts and um, be disciplined about it, right? Just like you're doing is, is have a system, you know, manage your time and monitor it. And, you know, I, and be be aware that early on it's probably going to be difficult, right? It's it, it will take that extra effort, like you said. It might be draining in the early days until you find your authentic uh, way to do it. I think uh, you know roundtables and small engagements are great, great formats. You know, so many folks think that you know leadership and you know selling the vision and they they picture you being at the podium in front of an auditorium of a thousand people or five hundred people and you know, sort of delivering the message. But what I've found is that that's, that's one way engagement, right? Which is, is necessary in certain forums and useful at times. To me, it seems the far more important sessions are the listening sessions, not the yes. talk sessions, right? Yes. And, that could be, and that's perfectly compatible with being an introvert because you can listen hard and authentically and yes. make sure that you're really getting the benefit of that engagement and understanding the situation. I, I absolutely, I can't tell you that uh, it's almost a revelation because you're, you know, as an introvert, you're beating yourself up on, my God, I got to present. I got to like be this person in front of others. No, actually be yourself. Listen, you know, and when you, when you embrace that part of leadership, then things begin to click. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned, I'm going to ask you about, you said you read a lot. I, I, I was my wife confirmed that I'm a complete geek because I think Kindle told me I read like 78 books last year or something like that. So it was, it was, a. I think it's been a record just because we've been cooped up so much, but the um, mindset is a critical one for me. I, I, I don't know if you've read Carol Dweck's original book on it. There's been many derivative works, but I started reading hers mainly because of my children was my initial motivation just to be a better parent. Yep. And, um, but it's it's been very, and we actually have a curriculum here at our company around mindset and and how important the growth mindset is at every level. Um, yep. And then you mentioned you know how important why is so Simon Sinek's start with why is another yep. one of my favorites. Yep. So other than those two, which I just stole from you, what 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 would you? What's the latest leadership books that uh, that you're really into? You know, uh, I have to get tips from you on how you read 78 books that that you're my hero. I'd like to get there. Um, you know, and and I think mind mindset, Carol Dweck's work, um, super seminal. I it changed my perspective. 
completely uh, because, you know, like I grew up in India. I went to undergrad and engineering school in India. It's a lot about being born with something, being perfect, you know, and uh, you then take on yourself and then you realize, no, actually you're a work in progress. And it's actually okay to say that you're a work in progress. And uh, Carol Dwight's work. And I read that book to my kids now. I, I have two boys, they're 14 and 12. And I read chapters of it, you know, to them. Uh, and I read it every year. This is like, there are certain books that I read every single year and mindset is one of them. Uh, Simon Sinek's Why, huge fan. You know, um, Leaders Eat Last, that is a book that is just, again, a phenomenal, you know, book. Um, I read a lot of leadership books, you know, just in terms of um, servant leadership. You know, how do you serve and how do you actually, you know, just, you know, get into helping others, you know, be successful. I will say that my uh, reading habits may be um, quite complex. I start like four books at the same time, you know, and I, I sometimes never finish any book because most of the time I find that especially business books. I've not read fiction in a while, uh, but most of the business books, you get it in the first six or seven chapters and then yeah. the rest, they're just filling pages. And so, um, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll tell you like the, the ones right now I'm reading, uh, you know, post Corona world by Scott Galloway. It's just an incredible book. Uh, I'm reading a book called coddling of the American mind. This is, you know, what's happening to the next generation and how do you, uh, understand the context of the next generation so you can actually lead them. Um, and then I'm at reading, you know, a couple, uh, one on Kamala Harris I'm reading. So this is like three or four books uh, that I read at any given time. And, you know, some, I do have reading time. Um, so, you know, nine to 1030 every night is my reading time. So I pick up a book and that's the time that I read. I cut off all screen. You know, I'd like to be able to use Kindle, but I think partly last year I've said I need to reduce screen time and we all spend so much time on Zoom. So right. uh, I've gone back to paperback books. And so the whole aspect of like actually flipping pages that calms me down before I get to bed. So uh, I do need to get tips from you on how you you got to 78 books. That's incredible. Yeah, I, I've well, I just, I've found probably on, you know, times are so strange that I have no desire to watch TV or news or any of that sort of information and it just because it's usually distressing so I turn it off and I read constantly in the morning and at night I read myself to sleep most nights uh, and I normally have I have I've started doing and it's funny you mentioned reading the chapters of Carol's book to the kids we just did a kind of holiday road trip of it we were in the car for six hours both ways um, not wanting to fly amongst this craziness yep and uh, yeah, we had audio books on and I had um, uh, Grit was uh, one of them yeah. I listened to as a, as a family. As I That's was amazing. A, um, what, um, you know, I guess if you were given some advice as to, you know, where to start, right, is, is you know, if you're in one of those individual contributor roles, you're early in your career, you've got a lot to do, you've got a heavy assignment, like you said, sometimes you can just sometimes the fastest path to recognition and success is just a lot of hard work and hours and putting it in. Um, any recommendations for finding that time, how to make that space? Um, 
early ways to start engaging and and sort of getting getting plugged in, perhaps even to internal leaders. I mean, one of the things that I've recommended to young engineers is to not, you know, don't be afraid to approach your leaders and, yes. you know, ask, you know, instead of just running with answers, like you said, ask questions, engage, and try to try to get that maybe personal, not necessarily one-on-one time, but just a more casual interaction with the leadership around you um, on those bright, bigger, broader issues and, and how to do that successfully without, you know, I think sometimes it's viewed as you don't want to be sort of kissing up to the leadership. It's not about that. It's, you know, but again, having that authentic desire to understand the vision at a more, you know, visceral level and, and being able to get some time or space to do that. Yeah. I, I think, you know, um, one thing I'll say is like engineers are pretty intentional. I think, uh, you know, I would start with that intention and, you know, we are, uh, given a day and we are given a certain amount of time to work, I find that the the best decision you can make is the decision on how you use your time. Um, we typically don't do that until, you know, we are truly overwhelmed. But in fact, you know, this is the beginning of the year. That's all I did for the vacation, my, my holiday break. All I thought about was how am I using my time and how should I be using my time next year? What are the changes that I should be making, uh, you know, in 2021 to use my time? And I would encourage every, you know, person starting in their career or in the process of becoming a leader, set, you know, clear intentions about how you use your time. That's the most important thing. And then think about, you know, where you are currently spending the time. If you cannot track it, you cannot you cannot measure it, you cannot manage it. And so, you know, early on, start thinking about um, how you measure where you're spending the time. And that will give you clues for, you know, uh, parts that are efficient and parts that are inefficient. So then you can actually say, oh, I'm spending, you know, too much time in in attending meetings where I'm not needed. So check yourself out of those meetings and then decide, well, I'm going to you know, use the time in meeting people outside my department and understanding the context of the broader business. Um, so there, there's probably multiple ways you can get that broader context. I think uh, one is just reading and asking more questions broadly, not just in your department and your line of work. Look, uh, you know, sideways, look up and down and see, you know, how does the other department hand off to us? And what is the interconnection? So try to understand the context around that and set up time with other leaders, you know, and I always love, um, you know, intentional time setting from people when I get a note which says, hey, I can, you know, I want to grab 30 minutes and I want to understand this portion. And I want to actually also offer my thoughts. I'm like, great, I will make time for it, right? And I think most leaders enjoy those types of conversation. Uh, So don't be shy about setting up time with someone in a different department or a leader to understand the context. And then I'd say, in addition to that, read, 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 you know, uh, like, again, uh, one of the things that I've done, and I'm, you know, I'm in tech, and I will tell you this, like, I'm off all kinds of, you know, social media, I'm, you know, but but I 
proactively go and look for information. I don't want information pushed at me, but I proactively go. And there are certain sources that I subscribe to. And I set up again, you know, 45 minutes a day to go and catch up on those respected, you know, publications and leaders and blogs that I subscribe to. That is important. That's part of your day-to-day job. And so I think each one of those, you're again, getting the broader context. And that's the bigger advice I would give for anybody in their career is always try to get the broader context of, you know, where you're operating, then you will have a much more directed vision of where you can have impact. Um, At the end of the day, every single person feels like they have accomplished something when they have impact. And the way to have impact is to understand the broader context of the organization that you're operating in. Yeah, I think certainly organizationally. And then you know, one of the areas I've, I've found is often a blind spot is really studying the and understanding and engaging in the ecosystem of the whole industry that you're in, right? And really kind of making the investment in time to understand, okay, you know, who are our key competitors and why are they being successful? And what can we learn from them? And also understanding, you know, equally importantly, what are our weaknesses, right? Because Again, if you can make sure you don't have to overcome those, sometimes those are just inherent in your position competitively or in the marketplace you're in, but being aware of them allows you to, again, navigate over that horizon, right, and make sure that you're not putting the company or yourself or your team in situations where kind of exposing your flank unnecessarily because you didn't have that awareness, right? Um, And that's one of the things I think is, you know, sort of, it's been interesting for me to observe. You mentioned being in tech, you know, I think as important as the choices we make sometimes as engineers, as, as a, a specific discipline, whether you're chemical or mechanical or you know, computer or electrical, you name it, is that, you know, that industry that you pick and that, you know, sort of, I think of that because I, I think my profession is not, or my career then is not with a company, but I'm an energy guy. I've been in the energy space you know, since I left Clemson um, and have benefited tremendously from being engaged in the industry on a broad basis, whether it's, you know, broader industry challenges that maybe at the time had nothing to do with the particular company I was with, right? but were shaping how our industry was going to evolve, right? And that's that's where I've found some pretty interesting ability to, again, see over that horizon, because sometimes if you're just considering your own company's interests and challenges, even those, while strategic for the company, are still tactical for the evolution of the whole industry right Um, so that's one of the things i just you know i think it's i meant you know i we didn't mention it but you you came to hubspot from dropbox right so it's again a a, not a different industry different company but similar space and just being able to have the engagement of such a broad ecosystem that really does influence you know the success of projects initiatives products um, and it's certainly impacting how our customers are viewing what we, you know, how and what we bring to them for, for services and solutions. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I tell you that uh, the first decade in um, my career in tech, uh, we were, we had signs of a tectonic shift that was happening. So this was in you know, 96 when I graduated from Clemson and no, um, the world in tech was still very much on-premise. And the idea of cloud at that time was very nascent. 
it was like, oh yeah, that's a fad. You know, that that's probably not going to happen. And then, you know, that is, those are big tectonic shifts that shape the industry. Um, you're really looking for it. You're looking for signs. You're, you know, engaging in the broader community. You're looking at innovators. You're looking at new models that are getting developed and you're sensing what is happening. And you really need to kind of make the shift. And as, as leaders within organization, uh, you either help your organization transition through those types of tectonic shifts or not. And um, I think that's where the engagement with the broader community and understanding the innovation that's happening is really critical. And that shift actually showed how critical it is for you to constantly look. And, you know, I think energy is like this. There's so much that's happening, you know, within your field, uh, similar to all that's happening within tech. And what happens this year could be irrelevant, you know, three years from now, five years from now. So part of your job as a leader is constantly sensing. Um, the one thing I would say, though, is that it is not using the same playbook. Like a lot of people say, oh, yeah, you you came from, you know, in my case, Workday or Dropbox and you came to HubSpot. So what are you actually going to do? And my response is, I'm taking none of it. You know, I take patent recognition as the... Right primary discipline for leaders. It's not just taking your experience. If I come to a new organization and said, you know what, this worked in you know, this other company and this other thing worked in this other company, so I'm going to do it, it's a sure sign that I'm going to fail, right? Because you can't take something that has worked in a different context in a different organization and uh, apply that you know, kind of blindly. So part of being a leader you know, in addition to sensing the broader context is also developing pattern recognition skills and being able to pattern match when necessary, but also, you know, come up with new playbooks for every situation. So I think that is the key. And that certainly has been the way I look at things is that, yes, the experience helps in looking around the corner, but it's not the only thing that you lean on. What you actively lean on is understanding the context, uh, deeply listening, you know, before, like, before you actually put your place in, uh, in place. And one of the things last year when I joined HubSpot, I said this to almost everybody in the first 90 days, because they're like, okay, what are you going to do? I'm like, nothing, I'm going to listen, you know, uh, seek to understand before seeking to be understood. I'm just going to listen, I'm going to actively, you know, have conversations and probably in the first 90 days. Thankfully, this was just before coronavirus. I met and, you know, just listened to 100, 150 people across employees, customers, and partners. And the pattern just emerged. Then you're just like, okay, it's not, it's not something that I'm coming here to do. You're all saying this. And then it resonates, then has a better chance of alignment, and there's a better chance of success. And I think that's probably the key that I would say. Yeah, I think it, you know, it's it's the context and it's the culture, right? You have to have to get a sense for these cultures different in every organization, every, you know, even within even within organizations, depending on you know what part of it you're working in. You know, you, you bring up a great point about sort of having the opportunity to do that, sort of that type of engagement and listening, you know, before the pandemic. What what are your thoughts now? Like, because I think we're we're challenged 
certainly with our organization and our team, I mean, this is, I've only traveled once since March, which is in the past 25 years, I haven't had a period like that, right? I'm, I've, I've always been a big advocate as part of being engaged is being out there, yes. as you said, rubbing elbows, listening intently. And if nothing, you know, sometimes just showing that you care enough to come and pay attention um, and be there with them, right? And and kind of being in the moment, understanding the nuances of the challenges they're facing um, and sort of never mailing it in, right? And, um, you know, that's one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is, is, you know, the leadership challenges now, you know, we've got established relationships. It's certainly, I think, you know, venues like this, you know, Zoom teams, et cetera, are, are never going to be a full replacement for the other experience, but they're certainly sufficient to kind of maintain those existing relationships and those paths of engagement that have been established. You know, what's been interesting for me is the bigger challenge is how to establish that remote from the beginning where yes. you've got new relationships. I mean, we, we, we actually just acquired two companies in the last uh, six months and one of them, I, I never met the folks at the company we were buying. And, yeah. and I would never have imagined doing that before. Yeah. But we had, we had many sessions like this. We had, we had obviously, we, we figured out how to do due, due, due diligence and yes. you know, all the formal parts of the acquisition remotely. Um, but it's still, a, I, I don't have any answers. I just wondered if you had any perspectives on how to think through that and, and kind of sort of how you're evolving your engagement. Because you, you seem, as you, as you mentioned, very intentional very deliberate. Are there any steps you're taking now to sort of transition to this kind of new world? Yeah, you know, Doug, uh, if you'd asked me a year ago uh, and said, well, you can only, you know, you, you'll only be able to travel for two months and the rest of the year you're going to be like uh, at home, you know, and by the way, HubSpot's headquarters is in Boston, right? And I live in San Francisco. So my Intentional plan I had said for last year was travel all over. Right. right. <laughs> and uh, that was intentionally broken. <laughs> so, you know, I, I think if you'd asked me, I'd have said that's impossible. How, how do you actually, you know, have gained the level of credibility and create that level of uh, relationships that are really important, you know, for your success and for your team's success? I think that we're all... Um, adapting to this new world. Now, I don't think five years from now, we're going to use the same playbook. Hopefully, we all get back to some semblance of needing, you know, those kinds of physical uh, outreaches and presence. I'd say that uh, the way we have adopted, adapted, I'd say, and I don't know if this is the full answer, is just over communication. Um, It's, you know, over the top, like if you, you know, we had uh, quarterly touch bases with the company. We made those weekly touch bases with the company for the first three or four months of the pandemic. Uh, every week we would get together as a management team. We would, you know, make ourselves available. We would have these ask me anything sessions where literally anybody could ask anything. And honestly, for the first two months, you could see a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of uncertainty. And we answered every one of those questions, sometimes, you know, for the fourth and fifth time. By the time we got to month four or five, uh, the questions became, you know, what's your hobby? Uh, What are you eating for dinner? I'm like, okay, this is great. Now they've asked us every possible question. Now they're asking us, 
you know, fairly mundane questions. So over communication. Um, again, in new relationships, you said you acquired a new company. You know, I'm joining a new team and all of my leaders don't know me. So, you know, you have to allocate a lot more time in one-on-ones and uh, use that as an opportunity to actively engage and actively listen and actively understand. Sometimes you can say, look, I, 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 I wish this would be a conversation that I would, you know, take you for dinner and, you know, have a, have a nice glass of wine and have this conversation. But right now I can't afford to do that. So let's have that type of a conversation setting intentions for some of these conversations as well. Um, You know, they make do, they make do. And I think there are ways of over communicating and really sharing the empathy and the fact that you're listening and you're learning, you know, from those conversations you can do. And, you know, at some point when it becomes safe for us to be able to travel, we'll, we'll know that, you know, we need to pay some more dues in order to really create that credibility as well. It's interesting. I think in some ways, um, the needed the need for being intentional about it has actually, in many areas, made us better. Like at least at our company and our and our teams, because um, you know, I think in at some level we were depending on the kind of kismet to happen. Right, I'm going to bump into that person. I'll you know we'll handle it then, and you could sort of count on that because there was enough just physical interaction for it to come up. Where now you know you've got to schedule it. And, yep. um, you know, there's not that there's not the spontaneity, but I do also think there's much more discipline in, and it is, you know, not necessarily over communicating, but much more structured communication on a much more repeatable basis. And it's right. you know, we did the same thing. We went from, you know, quarterly town halls to now we do a monthly with all hands. Yes. Um, you know, we're doing all our weekly meetings. You know, we we used to have a weekly call, but we didn't. People just didn't use video. We had it available. Right. We had. We had the platform, but it just wasn't traditional that you did that. Right. Now everybody's everybody's wanting to see each other and, and right. you know, visually connect. And, and it's made the meetings, it's made that time each week more meaningful, I think. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting. You know, one of the other topics, given your current company and assignment that we're, we're really spending time and thinking about is, you know, from a sales and marketing standpoint, you know, the, because we have, you know, we're, we're, we're a, Direct sales is a small part of our business, but we've always had 70 to 100, you know, direct sales reps on the street, um, literally out physically each day, you know, making calls and visiting with customers. Um, and amazingly, we've we've been able to sort of perform well through all this. But what's interesting is we're I feel like we're at a pivot point now where many sales teams have kind of drained the pipeline of the existing relationships that they had built sometimes for many years. Um and figure out how to do that successfully digitally and you know virtually. But now it's like that pipeline development and establishing new relationships, finding net new customers that never knew about you before um, is certainly going to be a, a big change for a lot of sales teams, I think. In terms Absolutely. Of Absolutely. And that's what we found overall. Um, you know, companies that were even on the fringe of like, do I really need to have a digital presence? Yes, you need to have a digital presence. Yes, you need to be able to engage your customers and add value to them digitally. And that's where digital marketing comes in. And yes, you need to be able to, you know, communicate and connect with your customers, you know, through Zoom calls, through, you know, online and inside sales. And you got to be able to do that. And, And in all of that, 
what is even more important is trust is even more important in a time like this. You know, new yeah. companies, how are they going to engage? They, they haven't met your sales team in person. They haven't met anybody in person. How are they going to engage and how are they going to trust you with it? Well, the way to develop trust is delivering, you know, great customer experience and actually engaging with your customers and saying, we care. Part of a lot of communication last year was that we understand what different industries are going through. And uh, we made a whole bunch of changes to our policies, to our pricing, to our product, to help our customers in the transition. And that came a little easier for HubSpot because all our mantra is really solving for the customer. So there is a first principle around solving for the customer. But again, coming back to you know, how do you do that is, you know, really putting yourself in the shoes, engaging uh, with customers, understanding what they're going through in terms of the transition and then being able to help. And I say it somewhat flippantly, but helping is the new selling. You really have to help your customers today in order to be able to sell to them. And in order to be able to help, you really need to engage and understand where they are in their journey. Yeah, it's a great, and it's, it's, uh, I know we're running out of time. I'll just, one little story on that is, you know, I, I was telling a good friend the other day, I said, you know, she was asking me about, we had success in a certain area and she, well, how'd you even end up in that situation? I said, you know, I said, I was reflecting that almost every good thing that's happened to me in my life has been because I was looking to help somebody. Like I was, and, and not always intentionally, it was just sometimes, you know, you, you got in a situation you could help. So that's why I try to tell my kids, if you can't, can help and you're in a position to, then you simply must. And Absolutely. You know, you'll never have enough time. There's never enough room. There's always, you know, priorities, but you just have to take it on and, and find space. And I think such, so much of the richness of, of life comes from that. And I think, I do think that's going to be a big part of, of selling and marketing is, is, you know, if you start with how you can help and how you can solve and which I think is so fundamentally such a great fit for engineers, right? Because we yep. we're built and trained to solve problems and to yep. solve challenges and to figure stuff out. And if you can do that from a from a perspective of of finding ways to help help your customer, help your teammates, yep. help your leaders, you know, around you, um, you know, good things flow from that, right? So, absolutely, absolutely, couldn't could not have said it better. Well, thank you for joining us today and and imparting such such. So many great points, the intentionality, the, the discipline around scheduling, making the time, the, um, some, some just wonderful constructs for our folks to work with. And um, can't thank you enough for making that time. And uh, I, know, I know many young, young engineers that hopefully listen to this with us will benefit from that. And uh, we greatly thank you. Absolute pleasure to be here. Thanks a lot for the conversation, Doug. Thank you. Engineering Leadership is a nonprofit organization dedicated to helping engineers enhance their leadership skills. You can download resources to accelerate your leadership skills by going to www.engineering-leadership.com.